Amen. Well, good morning. Uh, if you're with us online, we're so glad you're with us today. Um, you know, just as a quick celebration for each of us, I know this past week we hosted Kids Week. Uh, over, the, over, the, over the three days of Kids Week, we had 18 new kids come through our door, which is, which is great. Yeah, praise God. You know, we were, I was praying for, for 20 total kids, but God brought uh, 18 new kids. I mean, that's, it's just something fun for us to celebrate. You know, our kids had fun. Uh, they were discipled, and God moved in their heart, hearts and lives this week. Uh, and some heard the gospel for the first time, which is really cool. And I'll say this over and over again until uh, I'm blue in the face. The next generation is worth our time and investment. And I'm so thankful for all the leaders and volunteers that helped make this happen. And many of them are uh, out celebrating today. Uh, and I'm just genuinely excited and thankful for the investment that was made. You know, at one point, we weren't even sure uh, if we were going to do it because of all the unknowns, just with everything that's gone on. And uh, we took a step of faith and God moved. Uh, and so let's just, again, let's praise God for his faithfulness. Yeah, yeah. So, but, but switching gears here, um, today we're going to be kicking off our second, uh, a part two of our Exodus series uh, that we started last summer. Uh, and so I want to spend several minutes on the front end today, just kind of setting up the series, the second half of Exodus. Um, if you missed part one of Exodus last summer, uh, you can go back and watch them on our, online uh, to be refreshed into a deeper dive. But I also don't really feel bad for starting mid-book because I know many of you start movies and TV shows and sports games halfway through uh, when you watch them. And so uh, we're going to dive right in ha halfway into the middle of the book. You know, last week, last weekend, my family, or our family watched The Sound of Music, which made me realize how much, uh, how much as a kid I just did not pick up on. You know, as a kid, when I watched it, uh, you know, and, but now I'm a little uh, embarrassed to say uh, that one of those things I missed as a kid in that movie was the entire second half of the movie. Now, I'm not kidding. Uh, the first half of the movie, I knew really well when we watched it. I knew all the songs. Me and Kelly and the kids we were all singing all the songs together as a family. And then all of a sudden, right in the middle of the movie, there was an intermission. And I looked at Kelly and I'm like, babe, what is this? What is this? And as I watched the second half of the movie, I started to realize why I never watched it. Uh, because there was this entire subplot in the second half of the movie that I just didn't understand as a kid. Uh, and the mood changed, and it just wasn't as cheery for like an eight-year-old boy. Uh, you know, I guess as a kid, I just got disinterested and never watched the second half. And as soon as the movie ended, I picked up, and I, I picked up the phone, and I called my sister, and I asked her, I said, why, why, why have we never watched the second half of this movie? And she said, well, she did. Uh, I guess I just fell asleep. I don't know. That's very likely knowing me. But in some ways, you know, the second half of the book of Exodus is the same way for many who read it. Because in the second half of the book, we start to get into all the laws and the rules. And if we don't understand what's going on, we can get really disinterested. But I will say this past week when I watched the second half of The Sound of Music, I actually understood what was going on with the subplot of Hitler and World War II, uh, where before when I was a kid, the second half I thought was boring uh, and somehow just got completely erased out of my memory. But when I got caught, when I caught on, when I caught on to what was going on, all of a sudden the part that I didn't like before became very interesting. And in, in this book, the book of Exodus, in a lot of ways is the same way. And this book, Exodus, is one of my favorite books of the Old Testament. Uh, it's full of great stories and themes. It shows so much of the character of God and who he is and what he does. And much of the book of Exodus, it foreshadows God's plan of redemption and salvation for God's people. And when we read the book of Exodus, what Jesus, uh, what Jesus shows in the gospel, 
which shows us in the gospel, it really comes alive because the book of Exodus is not just a collection of stories. It points us to Jesus. Jesus is not mentioned in this book, but with us looking back at it now, we can say he's on every page. And this book, the book of Exodus, in many ways is a picture of the Christian life. You know, part one, what we saw last summer, uh, was a picture of God rescuing and God saving his people. It was a picture of God redeeming his people out of bondage, bringing them out of slavery. And with us now looking back on it, you know, as uh, history continued to unfold, we can now say, in a lot of ways, the first half of Exodus portrays a picture of Christian conversion. The redemption and salvation and rescuing that happens when someone trusts in Jesus. It's a beautiful thing. And kind of like part one of The Sound of Music has all their well-known songs, part one of Exodus has a lot of those well-known stories. It's the part of the Bible that Hollywood loves and makes a lot of great movies with Egypt and slavery, uh, with their painful labor and the rise of Pharaoh and the hardening of Pharaoh's heart and the story of baby Moses being sent down uh, the river in a basket. And then he gets older and, uh, and the story of God calling Moses out of the burning bush uh, and the story of the 10 plagues and the Passover and God's people following clouds by day uh, and the fire by night and the parting of the Red Sea and the bread that God sends from heaven in the wilderness day in and day out and the rock that turns into water. You know, some of the best and well-known stories in the Bible are in those first 18 chapters of Exodus. And if you haven't read it, go back and read it. If you have kids, they'll love it too. Read it with them. But when I went back and read it again this past week, I was so encouraged just by reading it, seeing the power and the character of God in full display. And I wanted to preach it all over again. I'm not, but it's good. Right? It's so good. This, but the second half of Exodus is <laughs> the part where everyone falls asleep on. It's, it's where Hollywood wants to stop. Uh, it's kind of a great introduction to our series, right? So this, it really sells tickets. But listen, I don't want us to fall asleep on part two because part two, what we'll see this summer, is a picture of God maturing his people after, after salvation. Yes, they were freed out of slavery, but their journey to freedom wasn't over because God wanted to see them flourish and co made completely whole and to live the way God intended them to live. God's people were once enslaved by Egypt, but now they have to learn how to live in freedom as God's people. You know, part one, again, was freeing his people out of bondage. And part two is God growing and maturing his people. Is God freeing his people to flourish. And I think if we're honest, in the Christian life, just like the first half of The Sound of Music with all the great well-known songs and just like the, all the great stories in the first part of Exodus, rightfully so, these are all greatly celebrated. Just like we celebrate salvation, which is good and right. But what often happens in the Christian life with what we see in the second part of Exodus, which is the growing and the maturing of his people, this is where people start to fall asleep. Because here is where we see all the rules. And instead of seeing it as greater freedom and flourishing, it seems like slavery and bondage all over again. In fact, today we're going to look at the Ten Commandments, also known as the Ten Words. Uh, which at the surface level is a bunch of do's and don'ts, which is how being a Christian is often portrayed. Do this and don't do that. Follow all the rules, obey the rules, and God will accept you. And maybe if you're good enough, you'll go to heaven. But in our series this summer, that's going to be turned upside down, and we're going to see the difference between religion and the gospel. And maybe you've believed this at one point, that being a Christian is a set of morals and rules and rituals to follow and obey. And in some ways, yes, there are certainly things we're called to do and not do, uh, and that God, there's God's commands for us to follow, and they're for our flourishing and greater freedom. They're not for greater bondage and slavery, but I hope you'll see uh, that it's far more than that. 
In fact, they give us an, a window into our heart and soul. As we saw in the first part of Exodus, and we'll continue to see in the second half, being a Christian is not being enslaved, and we're also not enslaved by rules and rituals. No, being a Christian is being freed from bondage and living in the freedom found in Jesus Christ. And just one last thing, before we get into our text today, I know this is a long introduction, uh, but I do have a small caveat about, uh, about part two of our Exodus journey that I want to point out. In the last summer, in part one, we covered uh, the first 18 chapters in 14 weeks. And this summer, in part two, we're going to cover about uh, the next 22 chapters in seven weeks. <laughs> so slightly more text in half the time. Which means the style of these sermons is going to be a little different than we typically do. Um, if you've been coming around for a while, you would know that we, go, we, tip, we typically go verse by verse and line by line. But, and I love doing that, looking at God's Word under a microscope. But in the second half of Exodus, which is mostly law and covenant and rules uh, and rituals, instead of zooming in with a microscope at every law and inspecting all the laws and rituals about uh, you know, resting our oxen and donkeys and vineyards, uh, which we certainly could do, uh, but rather, we're going to zoom out. We're going to look at this part of God's law with a wider lens to see the bigger picture. Which means I'm going to read some and summarize some and skip some. And I get it. As soon as I say that we're spending seven weeks looking at God's law, this part of Exodus, the part of Exodus is often skipped or ignored. Uh, overwhelming excitement uh, might not be the first reaction. But what's interesting about God's law is that many of the great revivals in human history have started with the preaching of God's law. And it's not because God's people are hungry for God's law, but it's because God, because looking at God's law greatly reveals our need for Jesus. It shows us a window into our hearts, and it creates a yearning in our souls for something more. And so in a lot of ways, uh, this is a great time to bring your friends that do not know Jesus. Because this series will greatly show the difference between religion and the gospel. And as you know, here at New City Church, we love the gospel. And so all that to say, this summer, I want to encourage you to invite your friends and be praying for God to work in their lives as we encounter Jesus together in Exodus. But today, uh, we're going to look, uh, pick back up in Exodus chapter 19. And we're going to see another great story of Moses and God's people encountering God on Mount Sinai, uh, where they received the Ten Commandments, which leads us to our main idea. And it's this, that the Ten Commandments display a picture of God's people flourishing as a community, now, I think, it's, I think it's fair to say that most people in our culture, if you ask them just kind of by walking up on the street, have you ever heard of the Ten Commandments? They'd likely say yes. You know, but according to most of the report, many reports have done in the United States, if you follow up with a few questions like, do you aspire to live by them? Quite possibly many would say yes. But according to those same reports, what's kind of funny about it is that many who say they aspire to live by the Ten Commandments don't actually know them. Some reports have said that 92% of Americans don't know all the commandments, which likely includes many of us who attend church regularly. Maybe you could list three or four of them, like don't lie and don't steal and don't murder, but very few people know them all. But more important than memorizing them and knowing what they are, the more important thing is that we understand them. Yeah, I mean, memorizing them, Maybe a good thing to do. Martin Luther, he spent a lot of time studying the commandments. Uh, but my big takeaway today is not going to be to go memorize the Ten Commandments. I mean, the scribes and the Pharisees, they knew the commandments, the entire law. I mean, they knew it like the back of their hand, but yet Jesus came to show them that although they had it memorized and knew all the details of it, they didn't get it. They completely missed it. 
And so if you're not a Christian here today, maybe you're watching online, I think this should intrigue you because the general underlying thought in our world and most of other major world religions is that our good scale can outweigh our bad scale, like maybe 51 to 49, and then we're good to go. Maybe then we can go to, we could be a good person uh, and maybe we'll go to heaven. And maybe even thinking we can add more and more to our good scale to be a better person uh, and improve, maybe improve our chances, like maybe 60-40 or 75-25 or maybe 85-15. And for the really good ones out there, uh, the A students, maybe 93 to 7 or, or 95 to 5. But the hard reality of, that God's law shows us is that God expects 100% good and 0% bad. God's expectation is a clean and perfect record. That's hard, isn't it? And if that feels like a heavy weight for you, I want you to hang tight because we have good news today. And for all the Christians in the room, my hope and prayer for you is that you will be enamored by God's holiness and righteousness, and yet again, just thankful for the gospel. And so we're going to uh, divide our text today very simply into two portions. Uh, number one, the, com- the context of the commandments, and number two, the commandments. And so we're going to get right into chapter nine. I'm going to read some, kind of retell some, uh, and just so we can wrap our heads around the setting and the context, uh, and we'll dive deeper in the commandments in, in chapter 20. So look at verse uh, one in chapter 19. On the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt on that day, they came into the wilderness of Sinai. They set set out from the Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain while Moses went up to God. The Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. I just want to stop there and just fill in some gaps so we fully understand our first point. Number one, the context of the Ten Commandments. Because about seven weeks prior to this moment, uh, that happened several chapters prior to this, God's people fled Egypt by crossing through the Red Sea, which was no small task. I mean, God literally opened up the sea and God's people walked through it on dry, gra- on dry ground with walls surrounding them, you know, all the fish probably jumping out of it. Uh, and then once they, saw, once they were all made it through, the water caved in on the Egyptian army that was chasing them, all the thousands of their men and their chariots. It completely went underwater, and God's people were freed. And it was an incredible act of God. And they sang praises to the Lord, and they were excited, and they were worked up. And then they go out into the wilderness, and they don't like where they are. And they struggle, and they complain, and they grumble, and God provides water in the desert and bread from heaven, and then they grumble some more. And when you read through the Old Testament, uh, and if we're honest, even looking at our lives today, this is the cycle of God's people. God's people, God shows up, they praise him, and then something happens. God's people doubt, they grumble and complain, and then in God's kindness, he shows up again. Well, seven weeks later, uh, at this mountain, God shows up again. And then as we just read, Israel, which is God's people, uh, they went camping They set up camp at the foot of this mountain, and Moses goes up this mountain called Mount Sinai, and God speaks to Moses and said in verses 5 and 6, look what it says. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. That's what God said. If they obey his voice and keep his covenant, they'll be his treasured possession. 
Seems simple enough, right? So Moses in verse 7, he's like, great, I got it. Uh, he goes and he gets his people, and then look at verse 7 and 8. So Moses came and called the elders of the people and set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. Uh, all the people answered together and said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses reported the words of the people to the Lord. So Moses told them exactly what God said, and they said, sounds great. Hey, we're all in. And Moses reported back to God, hey, they're in. And God's like, okay, great. And look what he says in verse 9. And the Lord said to Moses, behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak with you and may also believe you forever. And then just to retell the rest of the story, my own words, God says, go get your people, go get them all cleaned and go get them washed up before I come down this mountain. And then God's like, but listen, Moses, uh, you need to set limits and boundaries so that they don't touch the mountain. If they touch the mountain, they'll die. Don't let them touch the mountain. Moses listens. They go get cleaned up and they wait. And then on the third day, just like God said he would, God shows up, but he shows up with loud thunder and lightning and trumpets and a thick cloud on the mountain. And everybody starts trembling in fear. Moses brings everybody out to the foot of the mountain while the mountain is smoking from fire uh, that came from God, causing the mountain to tremble. The trumpets get louder and God answered him in thunder. And then God came down the mountain. And Mo he came down to the mountain, and Moses went up the mountain to meet him. And then God sends Moses back down the mountain to warn God's people yet again to not come up to the mountain to see God. And he tells them this twice. And then he says, when you come back, bring your friend Aaron with you. And all of, the, all of these events that I just said, these are the events right before God gives his people the Ten Commandments. It's a spectacular event. This is the context, this is the story that surrounds the Ten Commandments and the rest, the entire rest of the book of Exodus. The mountain in the wilderness, Mount Sinai, is the, set, is the setting for all of part two of Exodus. That's a great story. But this is the part that's often left out when we talk about the Ten Commandments. We often just skip to the Ten Commandments, but I don't want us to miss this part because it's the part that shows these commandments come from a holy and a powerful God. The setting of the Ten Commandments show God's power and holiness and wonder. It shows that God means business, that God means what he says. These law and these commandments are not to be taken lightly. In fact, God prepares them and warns them that if they don't listen carefully, they could die. God expected 100% obedience, even in their receiving of the law, how they received the law. It wasn't 93% right and 7% wiggle room. No, the holiness of God expects 100%. <laughs> because this is to be, because to be holy is to be whole and complete, lacking nothing. And I'm not the greatest in math, but I do know that 93% doesn't make you whole. And you know, if you remember, God asked his people and said in verse five, if you obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all people. And then he said in verse 6, And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Obeying God's voice and keeping his covenant, that was the expectation. And the reward was being a treasured possession, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And everything we see in chapter 19 was done, as he said in verse 9, so that the people may hear when I speak with you and may also believe you forever. God on the mountain wanted to show and confirm that he meant what he said. 
He wanted to show his power and show his holiness to his people. And in doing so, the heavens thundered and the lightning flashed and the earthquake and the trumpets blasted and the fire sparked and the smoke stayed on the mountain. And then the people trembled. You know, I think it's fair to say that God pulled out all the stops to get his people to obey him. If anyone was inspired and pushed to obey God, it was these people. Because when you see the wonder of God, you want to see more of his wonder. And they knew that this was the God of wonder. And being his treasured possession, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation, that was what was on the line. Obedience was the requirement, but being with this holy and majestic and powerful God forever was the reward. They were inspired, but they, they also had a little healthy dose of fear. They trembled. That's what it says. But what I don't want you to miss as we look at these Ten Commandments is the holy God that gave them. The most important part of the Ten Commandments was the God who gave them. And what we must remember about this holy God that gave these commandments is that he has already shown himself to be a faithful promise keeper and a mighty God that rescues. God wants and desires for these people and all people, including you and me, to be his treasured possession. And so that's the context of the Ten Commandments. But let's look at the commandments themselves, starting in chapter 20, verse 1. After all these events, look at at verse 1, starting in chapter 20, verse 1. It says, And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And then we get our list of the Ten Commandments, starting in verse 3. Commandment 1, You shall have no no other gods before me. Commandment 2, You shall not make for yourselves a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath and that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers of the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to the thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. Commandment three, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Commandment four, remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your sons or your daughter or your male servants or your female servants or your livestock or the sojourners who is within your gates. For in the six days the Lord makes heavens and earth and the sea and all that is in them and rested on the Sabbath day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Commandment five, honor your father and mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. And then commandments six through nine, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. And then finally, number 10, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is in your neighbor's, that, that is your neighbor's. And then to finish out chapter 20, It says, now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled and they stood far off and said to Moses, you you speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. Moses said to the people, do not fear for God has come to test you. The fear of him may be before you that you may not sin. The people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. These are the 10 words given by God or the 10 commandments for his people to obey so that they may be his treasured possession, his holy priest and a holy nation leading us to our second portion today. Number two, the 10 commandments. 
Just to say them again a little bit more quickly, no other gods, no idols, don't take the Lord's name in vain, keep, uh, keep the Sabbath, honor your father and mother, don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't lie, and don't covet. Obey these 10 things and you're good to go. We're good to go. Uh, we're God's treasure possession, his holy priest and a holy nation. Easy enough, right? Well, we could go through this entire list and kind of give ourselves a 10 commandments test and show how every person on this planet fails the test. And just as a little encouragement for all of us and to really lift our spirits, uh, we'll look at just a few of them to see how we all fail in some way. You guys ready to be encouraged? Great. Praise the Lord. Let's look at number one. No other gods but me. Question one to our test. Do we always, all the time, love God supremely? Meaning, we're always perfectly obeying God's greatest desire for us. Okay, so let me put some flesh on this. Have you ever gotten more excited about a promotion at work or a new car or a new house or a sports team than you were about God? <laughs> I know I'm guilty. Or about number four, keep the Sabbath. Do you always give God what is his, including rest and work? Like you never overwork and you always rest well. Uh, or what's also implied is that you don't underwork. You're not ever lazy because number four, if you remember, it also includes, if you go and read it, it says work, it talks about working for six days. Or how about number five? Honor your father and mother. How are we doing, New City? Right, God calls us to honor our father and mother. Or number six, don't kill. Maybe we're good on this one, right? <laughs> well, um, I hate to be a Debbie Downer today, but remember how Jesus later included desiring the harm of someone else. Like, not actually doing it, but just thinking about it. It also causes us to fail the test. Or how about number nine? Don't lie. And if you ever tell me you've never told a lie, well, I'd know you were lying. <laughs> because every uh, kid at three and four year years old has to learn to not lie. And adults do as well. And then finally, number 10, uh, don't covet. This one gets me every time. If you've ever gone to Zillow and, wanted to look at, and looked at a different house, uh, not wanted your own. Sorry, folks, we've failed the test. Or if you've ever looked at someone else's order at a restaurant and wanted theirs, failed. I mean, we could go on and on. We could play this game for a long time. Uh, and how, but about how we can't uphold God's standard to perfection. 95%, it just doesn't cut it. It said, fully obey it. And I think we kind of naturally understand this. You know, if my wife was 99% faithful to me, uh, she would be considered unfaithful. If 1% of my drinking water was polluted with gasoline, it would be 100% no good. You know, if I cheated on a few questions on an exam, I cheated on the exam. The standard is not more good than bad. The standard is 100% obedient. It's fully obedient, which is why we so desperately need Jesus. Because Jesus met the standard. Jesus passed the test. If you've ever felt like you're not good enough, I hope that you're listening today because we have good news. This is why the gospel is good news, because Jesus went to the cross. He died and rose again to take the penalty of us not being able to pass the test. We're not good enough, but Jesus was and Jesus is. And when God looks at us because of Jesus, he says, well done, good and faithful servant. I'm proud of you, my beloved. <laughs> That's grace. 
Jesus going to the cross was him saying for us, I'm here to take the test for you. And all we have to do is trust that he passed it, that he was good enough and believe that he died and rose from the grave. And so yes, the the 10 commandments show us our need for Jesus and they reveal our heart by putting a mirror into our lives. But these commandments do way more than that because these commandments also show the heart of God for his people to flourish you know, the negative side of the commandment so that we couldn't pass the test. They showed God's standard and our imperfection, but the other side of the same coin, the positive side of the commandments, it shows the love and the kindness of God for his people to flourish. The 10 commandments were given for our good. God gave the commandments to his people, to a community of people, as our main idea suggests, for a reason. God gave these commandments to his people because he wanted what was best for them. He wanted to see his community, the entire community, flourish. In many ways, the commandments are God beginning to outline what his flourishing new community should look like. If the commandments were not the outline and the guide rails, then the good of the community to flourish would be at stake which is exactly what happened when God's people were enslaved to Egypt. These commandments didn't exist and they weren't followed and they were enslaved because of it. God was brushed aside back in Egypt. Commandment one was broken. Pharaoh and his idols were elevated. Commandment two, broken. The Sabbath in in Egypt didn't exist. They worked them to death, requiring more brick with less straw. Commandment broken. The last five, honor your father and mother. Don't murder, murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't lie and don't covet. Those weren't championed in Egypt when they were under the rule of Pharaoh. uh, And life was miserable because of it. And so in many ways, these commandments were not to burden God's people. They were a blessing to God's people to protect them and and was made for their flourishing. God was beginning to outline what it looked like to have a new community and what it should look like. And we see this with us today too. You know, one of the greatest lies in our day is just follow the desires of your heart. If you want something, take it. It's good for you which is what happened in Egypt. The commandments protect us and they also protect our community from this. Following all of your desires all of the time, it sounds great on the surface, but listen, it's completely absurd and we know it. I mean, if we start with our natural desires and cravings, if if they're not put in check with boundaries and limits, they won't lead us to flourishing. Prime example, okay? Okay. Uh, if, if I eat whatever I want, whenever I want, and only eat what my heart desires, I, it will not end well for me. Or how about this? If I just stay in bed all day long, just slept all day, just on that nice warm pillow, right? Comfy bed. It may feel good in the moment, but that's not the path to human flourishing. At some point, you got to get out of bed, right? The point is, God has given us a standard and a manual to paint a picture for our life that was designed and intended for flourishing and not bondage. You know, we have two sides of the same coin with the commandments. God gave us this manual to our hearts and lives and instructions on how we should live for the flourishing of his people, right? For the entire community. 
while also on the other side, the expectation is 100% full obedience that can't be kept perfectly because of our sin nature. We can try fear, we can try strict discipline, but it's really hard to join the motivation of fear when there are a fearful people also to join that with a flourishing community. Because it often seems like further bondage and doesn't, seem, it doesn't get at the intention of the law. Because remember, that's what the scribes and Pharisees did. At the surface here, there's a conundrum of God's law that leaves a supposed gap between God's purpose and intention and the ability of God's people to fulfill the law perfectly. But may we not forget the character of God. May we not forget that God, the God who gave the law, he's both holy and merciful. He's both powerful and kind. He's a rescuer, which is why Jesus Christ in the gospel is so precious to us. And so we have to ask, how does God overcome this conundrum that marries the flourishing of God's people with the expectation of perfect obedience to the law? The answer is that God sent his son, Jesus Christ. God, Jesus stands in the gap for us. Faith in Jesus bridges the gap between the purpose and the intention of the law that's intended for human flourishing by Jesus carrying the load for us. Jesus bridges the gap for us by being able to also fulfill the law. And in turn, he fulfilled it for us. He stands in the gap. Jesus stands in the gap. He did it for us and shows us and leads us to the intention of God's law, which was for the good and the flourishing of his people. The law was given out of love. And by his grace and mercy towards us because of the cross, when we believe in Jesus, we are led to God's, to be God's treasured possession, just like he promised in Exodus 19. Listen, church, the Ten Commandments were not made for rules and regulations to further burden us. The Ten Commandments were not given to save his, and they were also not given to save his people because remember, God had already saved his people. The Ten Commandments were made to point to the God who made them. They were made for the flourishing of God's people. It protects the vulnerable. The commandments protect the entire community. And when God's people are with God, they flourish. When God's people love what, God's, what God loves, they flourish. When God's people delight and live the way God intended them to live, God's people flourish and the entire community is protected. Don't miss this. The laws and the commandments were not intended to drive us to heaven. They were intended to drive us to Jesus. God's plan for the flourishing of his people requires himself. It requires Jesus Christ. If we do not have Jesus, the full flourishing, the way God intended us for us to live, it's not possible. And the way in which God helps us to flourish and to also obey the law for flourishing is by Jesus giving us a new heart, by giving us new desires, and by writing his law on our hearts. The law is for our good. God's commandments are for our good, but we need God to help us and empower us so we're not enslaved by them. In the same way the scribes and the Pharisees were enslaved by them. Because they, remember, they memorized the law. They knew the law and they did everything they could to perfectly obey it, yet they missed it. Because it didn't drive them to Jesus. It drove them away from Jesus. And so let me ask you today very practically, 
Do you see God's rules and laws as a heavy weight around your neck driving you away from Jesus? Or are they driving you towards Jesus? You know, the main application today is to not be a better law follower. That's just secondary. <laughs> the main application today is to go to the one who is the best law follower. Go to Jesus and rest with him. And you may be surprised that when you go to Jesus and see his love and goodness, you'll want more of what he has to offer. You want more of his plan for you and your life. And the laws won't be a burden, but rather they'll be a delight. Because the more you go to God's laws, the more you'll see into the heart and you'll see even more clearly how great Jesus is and your love for Jesus will grow. And with it, so will your joy and gladness. I want to close today uh, by looking at chapter 19, verse 4. This is what God said to Moses before he gave them the law. He said in verse 4, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. You know, before God gave them the law, he reminded them that he rescued them first. And then he reminds them again in chapter 20, verse 2. He said, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And then after he said that, he then gave them the law. God first rescued them, and then he told them to obey. He first showed them that he cared, and then he told them to obey. He first displayed his love to him before he asked them to display it back to him. Obedience is a response to the faithfulness of God. But what I want to point out back in, chap in, in verse 4 of chapter 19 was how he rescued them. He said he bore him on, weagles, uh, on eagles' wings and brought them out of Egypt. In essence, God carried them out of Egypt. They did nothing, and God did everything. God rescued them. They did not rescue themselves. And what I want to point out is that just like God rescued them out of Egypt in his own power and might, God's provision for obeying the law was also given out of his own power and might. Jesus was their provision for obedience. God provided the means for salvation and the means also for obedience. So if you're not a Christian here today, maybe you're watching online. I want you to hear this again. God wants to see you flourish. And Jesus is God's mean, means to your flourishing. It's not his rules. It's not his rituals. It's Jesus himself. Put your faith and trust in Jesus today. Follow Jesus. He doesn't ask you to first be better. God gives us Jesus and through him, he makes us better. In fact, through Jesus and only because of Jesus, he then makes us his treasured possession and considers us holy priests. And then lastly, for the Christians here today, I want to call you to remember that it's not your striving and achieving that makes God love you. You may have heard this hundreds of times, but if you're anything like me, you need to remember it again today. We know that the natural bent for every human heart on this planet is to strive to earn to climb up the mountain of achievement. But notice how when God gave the law, he didn't ask his people to climb up the mountain and get it. He, sent, he went down the mountain to them, to those who could, get, who could not get up the mountain. Why? Because that's what God does. And he continues to do over and over again for us. Christian, remember, the Christian life is not about striving for God's love. It's realizing we can't do anything for his love, but receive it. Brothers and sisters, the Ten Commandments, let it be a reminder to receive the love of God today, to sit in his grace and see how he wants to carry you to places you've never dreamed of. 
New City Church, I hope you've seen today, as our main idea suggests, that God wants to see his people flourish, which also includes you and me. God wants our community to flourish. Let's pray. God, you're kind to us. You're gracious to us. Thank you for providing Jesus for us. Father, you are for us and you're for the flourishing of God's people. I pray for every single person in this room and maybe listening online that you would, you would encourage us knowing that you are for us, that you want to see us flourish. You're for our good. Father, we need your help and would you help us today? In Jesus' name we pray, amen.